Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So when we say that the Father wants someone who worships Him from, from the core of their being. They don't just have the demonstration. They don't just have the religious duty. They actually worship in spirit. And then in truth, they are living and functioning in the revelation of God's reality. This is what he's talking about, that, they, that they're affectionate for me, that they have desire, that it comes from the inside, but it also plays out into their life. This is the kind of worshiper the Father is looking for. See, the great mark of, of one whose heart that longs after God is no matter what place they are in or what season they are in, they find a place to bend their heart and set their affections towards God. See, it doesn't matter if you're going through a great season because some of us forget the Lord in the great seasons. It doesn't matter if you're going through the low season because some of us during the low season tend to forget about the Lord. But it's that we find the Lord, that we set our affections, that our heart is bent, that our lives are bent towards Him. This is what worship says. I will go after the Lord. I will love on the Lord through every season, through every heartache, through every victory. I will go after God always. And this is what we see in David. You see, before David ever wore a crown or yielded a a sword, he carried a harp. Whether he was singing songs to our creator, gazing at the star-filled floor of heaven in the middle of the night while his sheep slept, or calling out to God in the courts of a mad king, while he, or while he wept in caves with laments of desperation, David's greatest accomplishments were the moments that he spent singing, writing, dancing, and weeping before his king, Yahweh. The greatest mark of David's life was not even building the temple which we'll talk about next week David's greatest accomplishment is that he had a heart that was bent towards God and then he found a way to worship God through everything whether it was slaying giants or watching sheep or playing before the man that was trying to kill him David loved God and his heart and his affections were towards him so David in the story where we're at, we know that he's been running from Saul. Saul died. We talked about that last week and David's response to that. So then there's a battle that happens between David and his house and Saul's house. Saul is kind of still in control of the kingdom. David is ruling some of the, if you will, states of Israel, but not really the whole nation, just a portion of the nation because the nation was divided. But then finally the day comes for David to go and establish his throne in the city of Jerusalem, like the nation's capital. So the nations will be united under one king. Are you guys with me? So David goes, he's finally there. He's finally, after all these years running for, from Saul, years after the promise, establishes as, as, as the king of, Jeru- of Israel in the capital city of Jerusalem. And once that happens, David decides to make a decision. Let's talk about that. Second Samuel chapter 6. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. How many of y'all ever been to a town of like 30,000? It's not a lot in a town, but it would be a lot as an army, right? Uh, He led them to Balah of Judah to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say the Ark of the Covenant. 
which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's army, who is enthroned between the cherubim. So David said, first order of business. I'm king. It's like, let's, let's deal with all this drama that's happened. David deals with the drama. Then, it, then it's time for him to actually start making some orders as king. And the first order that he really makes as king is let's go get the ark back. Now, if you guys have been doing the reading or you've been paying attention to the story, back in 1 Samuel, the early chapters of 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant was actually stolen by the Philistines, the enemies. And so they stole it. They tried to keep it. They couldn't keep it. The children of Israel get it back. We'll go into that story in just a minute. The children of Israel get it back and they hide it because they're afraid of it. And so the thing that was so precious about the Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the Covenant was associated with God's manifest power and presence. So you got to understand, you couldn't come into any church. You know, we, we, one of the things that's great about America, some people use this as a criticism. I think it's amazing. One of the great things about living in the Metroplex is that you can find a church on any corner. And you could go into any church and you could engage and you could actually experience the presence of the Lord. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. I don't know why anybody would ever complain about that. Because in the old covenant, you couldn't do that. You could, the only way that you could experience the presence and the power of God was to be close to this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now David learned, found some keys, come on, through private worship where he could encounter the Lord, but not in a level that he wanted to. In fact, David had probably heard stories of the Ark of the Covenant and how the presence and the glory of the Lord would come down and God would actually sit in what's called the mercy seat. And he was like, man, I love it when I sing my songs and I get like the, the chill bumps, but I want to like see like the Lord, like glory. I want to, I want to experience more. How many of you have ever been there? Because true worshipers weren't that. When we're really worshipers, we're not satisfied with yesterday's manna. We're not satisfied with the experience that we had 10 years ago when we came to Jesus. We want more. We're obsessed with this man, Jesus. So the Ark of the Covenant, if you, if you don't know this, the Ark of the Covenant was basically like a four foot long box, about two and a half foot wide. And it was made out of wood. It, and the reason why we call it an Ark is because an Ark is a vessel, right? Like the Ark of Noah. I almost said Moses. And some of y'all would not even have thought I was mistaken. And inside this Ark contained a few things. It had a jar, a golden jar with manna. Remember the, the manna that the children of Israel ate? And it had, Aaron had a, a rod in there that had budded. It was miraculous. I'm not going to go into it today. Aaron's rod. And it had the Ten Commandments in there. And they set inside this box, this golden box that was made out of wood, and then they dipped it in gold. And, you know, it was a pretty good box, and it was heavy. On top of the box have these two angels, cherubims, that are facing each other. And right between the, the angels, there's this section called the mercy seat and the mercy seat is whenever sacrifices would be made on the day of atonement what they would do is they would pour blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people oh come on and so when that happened the lord loved it and he came and he went boom and he sent his presence on this thing called the ark of the covenant this piece of furniture holy furniture and so God said, this is the mercy seat. This is where I sit. This is what represents my presence, my power on the earth. Are you guys with me? And so it was a very valuable piece of furniture, but it was more than a piece of furniture. It actually represented the presence, the power, and the glory of God. And that's where the, when the glory of God would come on the earth, 
he would sit the Lord would sit there on the mercy seat it's intense so 70 years before David's king the Philistines are fighting the Israelites and they can see that they have this power over them and the reason why they have the power is because they have the Ark of the Covenant and so wherever the Ark went if you guys remember they would cross the sea Joshua crossed the sea whenever the, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant his feet touched the sea, and the sea. so there was power that followed this thing the glory of God was, was manifest in it so 70 years before David's king the Philistines actually capture the Ark crazy and they take it to their temple they had a temple they had a, a god that they served named Dagon and Dagon was I don't really know much about Dagon but I know that they had a temple that was set up to Dagon and there was an idol in there of this god that they served so they put the ark of the covenant in there and the next day they walk in and the idol Dagon had collapsed and bowed before the ark of the covenant so they put it back together and they assembled it and they said oh this is our god and they put it up they came back the next day and guess what it had fallen again well then they take the ark of the covenant and they all this drama happens where they, they try to put it in a city and people are stricken with plagues and all these kind of things because they were trying to use the presence of God for themselves. Come on. And so the Philistines had no right to it, yet they were trying to use it. They were trying to abuse it. So they took it back to Israel. They put it on a cart, an ox cart. Now what an ox cart is, an ox cart is a cart that's carried by ox. Okay? So they would put it on, they put it on the ark and they moved it to this little... It ended up in this little forest town, uh, which, rather than butchering my Hebrew today, is they move it to this forest town. That the, the town is called the City of Woods, and it sits in this forest town for about 70 years. So David becomes king, and he's like, you know what we need to do? We need to get the Lord back. That's, that's basically what he was saying. He's like, he's like I'm here. I'm one whose heart longs after God. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see our nation blessed. I want to see the presence of the Lord right here in the capital city of Israel. I want to see the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. So he said, let's go get the Ark. Let's go get it. Now, you got to understand they were a vicious army. Now, there were people that were more strategic than them, but they were, Israel was bad to the bone because they had David as king now. He was like, he was legit. Let's get real. I want to talk for a minute. I'm going to weave this story in. Are y'all all right? David, we're, we're talking this morning about responding to the glory. Okay, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, responding to the glory. The first thing that David had, if we're going to be worshipers, one thing that's got to be in our life, is first of all, is awareness. If I say awareness, awareness. Now, David had an awareness of God. He had, first of all, an awareness of God's greatness. The reason why David wanted to get the ark back is because he knew how great God was. He knew how powerful God was. He knew he had experienced the Lord in certain measures. In fact, I believe that David had heard stories before that. Probably when he was, you know, when he was just a shepherd boy, he'd probably go home and they, they would start reminiscing of the stories. You know, we used to have an ark and when we would go to battle against our enemies, they would just move the ark outside and we would win the battle. So David had this fascination and this is probably one of the things that drove him for that. And, and again, David longed for more. So he was aware of the greatness of God, but he longed for more of the greatness. How many of you longed for more of the greatness? 
uh, David knew that it was important that God be present in the capital city of a nation. He valued the glory of God. Listen, the presence of God is valuable. You need to recognize, you need to be aware that God's presence, don't take it for granted. Don't, listen, don't walk in a room like this and experience the greatness of God and go, us oh, good. This is another day at church. Do you understand what you are encountering? Do you understand how powerful God is? That he is the Lord of heaven's armies, scripture says. That God is, is phenomenal. He's not just this kind, meek, tender, you know, mouse type God who's scurrying throughout the room. Get over it. He is great. There's nothing greater than him. The presence of God is valuable. So when we start being aware of the value of the presence of God, of the greatness, when we start tuning into the awareness of it, because I mean, no, it can be in the room all day long, but you not be aware, to, aware of it. But worship starts when we awaken our awareness. Worship starts whenever we are aware of the greatness of God. I am in the room of the great one. You know, it bothers me sometimes how fascinated we are with fame and celebrities. You know, I see people post, you know, I saw a celebrity. Or they'll go over here to the wax museum and it's not even a real celebrity. They're like posting selfies with, the, with a wax, piece of wax celebrity. Yet, how do we value the presence of God? We'll go day after day without spending time with this God who is incredibly, infinitely more powerful than anything you can imagine. We fail to recognize His greatness. See, you cannot be aware of God without being in awe of God. See, He is awesome. He is full of awe. He is full of wonder. And listen, you better recognize. Let's just be real. Because he is powerful. He's not a mouse running around the room. You know, I, the, the, the bad thing about us referring to the Holy Spirit as a dove is because sometimes we don't understand that, yeah, he's, he is a dove in the way that he moves, but he's also a lion. So you can't be in, aware without being in awe. And understand any, let me just say this about the nature of God. Anything that you will draw contrast, anything that you will use to illustrate the Lord that's on the earth will fail. It will always fail. Hollywood will always fail in representing God will. They'll always fail. We can't expect them to reveal God to us. There's no way that we can even touch the greatness of God. But the second thing, is God's holiness. So when we come into the presence of God, we're not just coming into the presence of, of a God that's great, powerful, strong, but He's also holy. That means He is completely uncommon. That means there is no one like Him. There's none of them. None of them. He's unique. He's powerful. He can take you out just by thinking about it. Lest we forget, gang. I know that that's not a popular message in 2017. God could just take you out with... It's like that. Come on. 
And sometimes we forget. Sometimes we think God's just kind of in my pocket. Let's kind of pull him out. He'll be, Lest you forget the holiness of God. 2 Samuel 6, verse 3. So David goes to get the ark. Now, when the Philistines had captured the ark, they put it on an ox cart. Remember? We talked about this. So check this out. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, that, this was not the way that God was supposed to move on an ox cart. We're going to get into that in just a minute. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. <sighs> well, let's get him a new cart. Nice fancy cart. Let's go get some of that good wood. Build him a new cart. And they brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Yuza and Ahau, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house. So get this. With this guy's house, they're leading. We've got an older brother in front of the cart. Younger brother walking beside the cart, Yuza. We'll remember his name. History, remember his name, Yuza. I don't know why they named him Yuza. It's a weird name. Yuza's about to make a big mistake here. So carrying the ark, Ahio walked in front of the ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. They were jamming. Yes! We're taking the presence of the Lord home. Boom! People singing, people dancing, people going crazy. The Lord is coming home. He's coming home. We're going to have the presence of the Lord once again. They are having a party. And then the record scratches. That was a terrible sound effect. That's probably the worst sound effect I've ever done. So what the scripture tells us is that they're carrying it on this cart and the cart starts getting a little wobbly. And Yuza, I don't know what Yuza thinking, but Yuza, the ark starts to fall over and he reaches out his hand to protect the ark and boom. He doesn't get hit with the power of God like you like to get hit with the power of God. He gets hit with the power of God like none of us want to get hit, and he dies because he touched the ark. The moral of the story is don't touch the ark. Use a, use a better not touch the ark. So use it dies. And then it says this the scripture says that David was angry. David was mad at the Lord. Have you ever been mad at God? In fact, that word in the Hebrew, Hebrew is chara. It's like where we get the word charbroiled. David was lit. He was burned. Been burned at God? No. Don't touch you. And then it says that David was afraid. The two things that I think the Lord didn't want him to have, he had. He was mad at God. And he was afraid of God. How many of you have ever been afraid of God? Afraid that God was going to... Listen, if you would get the reverence thing right, you wouldn't have to be afraid. If you would have the right kind of fear, if you would have the right kind of fear towards the Lord, you would never need to be afraid. Because there is a holy fear when you understand God's power, God's greatness, God's holiness... And you will never have to experience something in God that would make you afraid and fearful. Oh, 
So don't get the cart before the horse. Can I tell you, this man dies and it was David's fault. But he touched the ark. Yes, but David is the one that gave the order. David is the one that said, let's go get the ark of the covenant and put it on a cart. It was David's fault. If you want to read that, Numbers chapter 4, 5 through 6, if you want to write that down, chapter 7. God had a very specific way that the ark was to be moved. Why? Because God is holy and God is specific. And it's okay if God is specific. Because lest you forget, He is God and you're not. You don't get to make His decisions for Him. I know you would like to think He's just a little idol in your pocket, but that's not who He is. He is God. He is the potter, you are the clay. You best recognize. Some of you live like the devil all week because you don't have any fear of God in your life. Now you better straighten up or you'll have something to be afraid of. Now David is God's, David's name means beloved. He's the beloved one. I know that this ain't going to be popular. I know only like two people are going to listen to this podcast this week. That's okay. David is beloved. I mean, that's what his name means. I mean, he's, and he's not just beloved. That's not just his name. Like, he's God's beloved. Him and God are like tight. And God's like, "Uh uh-uh, David. You need to do your research on how you transport the ark. First of all, you don't do it like the Philistines do it. That's a pagan way of carrying the Lord. That's a pagan way that God moves. See, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll allow the world, we'll allow the religion, the new age spirit of the world to show us how God moves. Uh Uh-uh. My God has it very plain and clear in his word how he moves. See, we want God to bless something that he can't bless. We want God to bless something that he won't bless because that's not the way. See, God blesses things that are done God's way. So don't do things your way and then say, God bless it. Because he goes, no. If you want me to bless it, I'll bless this. Get under this and it'll be blessed. You won't even have to ask for the blessing if you do it my way. Instead, we do things our way and then we go, God, what's going on? Why aren't you blessing it? Because you didn't do your research. Because you didn't see how I moved. You didn't see what I blessed. You live like the devil all week and you want God to bless you. You waste your money and you want God to bless your finances. It don't work that way. You got to get him the blessing. Y'all all right? Y'all aren't going to be angry like David after today's message. So why? Let me stay to the notes here. We're going to be here all day. Listen, God is God. He has his ways. He doesn't move the way that we want him to. Or the way that we think he should move. Have you ever, ever, has God ever done something in your life and you'd be like, not the way I do it. I have. I don't know my plan. But when we started this church, I was like, I no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, anybody, any day, never wanted to plan a church. Wasn't my way. Glad we did. Glad we obeyed. <laughs> Come on. Don't touch it up. 
His ways cannot be bypassed. What we do is we do things our own way and then we go, grace, grace, grace. And God's like, the grace is on the front end. I told you how to do it. We always want grace on the back end, never on the front end. Can I tell you that grace on the front end is way better than grace on the back end? Because there's a lot less suffering that happens because of it. Get grace on the front end, grace in the middle, and grace on the end. Just live in grace. Quit doing things your way. Y'all all right? This is the first problem with putting, with, with doing things. Why, why does God want it this way? First of all, the presence of God was never meant to move. Let me say it this way. First of all, the presence of God was meant to move upon the shoulders of men, not the systems of men. God doesn't move on our systems. God doesn't bless our creativity for Him to move in. He has a way. And He wants it to be on your shoulders. Because you are the priesthood. See, God said, you remember we talked about the ark? There were two, there were four rings on that ark. On each corner of that ark that they ran poles through. And those poles are supposed to go through that ark so nobody touches the ark and dies like Yuza. See, if he would have done his research, he would have known, you don't touch it. It's hot. The oven is hot. You touch it, you don't get burned. You touch it, you die. What happens when you touch the ark? It had a warning. There was a warning on the ark. Whoops, David got it wrong because he got mad at God. It's like, David, it's your fault. God told you to do it this way, and you did it your way. And now a man's dead because of it. Uh, Okay. What do I do now? Do it the right way. So the, this, it had these rings, they ran these poles, and then a pre, the priests were supposed to put those poles upon their shoulders and carry the ark. Because the presence of God is meant to rest on men, not carts, not systems, on people. God wants to rest on your life. He doesn't, he doesn't want you, he doesn't, he's not trying, listen, God is not trying to fit into your box. He's not trying to fit into your cart that you're carrying around. He wants to be on your shoulders. This is what worship looks like. He wants to be on you. Not behind you. We, and we do this a lot. Lord, bless it, bless it, bless it, bless it. He's like, get it on your shoulders. Carry it. The blessing comes. Just move it the way it's supposed to move. All right. It would have been, listen, it would have been more efficient. And that's the second thing is, is efficiency is never greater than obedience. There are not shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Efficiency is never greater than obedience. Was moving it on the cart quicker? Absolutely. But it wasn't God's way. Obedience is God's way. You're okay today? You're looking at me like God killed somebody. Oh, wait. Number three. Well, Number three. Is it too soon? Talk about using like that? Too soon? Okay. Number three. Good intentions won't move God. Let me know that every good intention was there. Every good intention was there. Right? I mean, I don't think Yuzu was like, I'm going to touch the ark. Watch this, guys. No, he was like, I want it to stay upright. I want to protect the presence of the Lord. 
David, when do you use a car? Let's get it there quickly. We can have it there by tonight. Forget all that religious junk. They're just religious. Come on. They're just so religious. They got to dot all their eyes and cross out their T's. That's right. Because God's holy. They're just so legalistic. They want to. Well, God has his ways. Isn't it funny how we protest? Like someone's like doing things God's way. And they say, oh, they're religious. They're legalistic. You want God to bless your system. Or do you want God to be on your shoulders? Good intentions won't move. Maybe they forgot for 70 years not being around the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they weren't spending time in the Word. Let's just be real. See, some of you don't even know what God will bless because you're never in the Word. You don't even know. You say you're a follower of Christ because you said a prayer one day, but you don't even know how to live. You don't have a relationship with the Lord. You don't have any. You're never in the Word. How are you going to know God's ways unless you study God's ways? Now David, I think that David knew God's ways. But he thought he had a better idea. All right. Let's move along from the hard part of the sermon. Y'all all right? Y'all, anybody sweating like I am? All right. Physically and spiritually? Okay. It's a hard word. So number one, be aware of God's greatness. Number two, be aware of God's holiness. Number three, on awareness is... Be aware of God's goodness. Because it'd be easy to look at this story and say, God isn't good. Well, God is good. Because God, again, it came with a warning label. Second Samuel, right after this, David's mad. He's afraid. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. So he's like, man, God's not good. I'm mad at God. Let's just move him somewhere else. I think David probably longed for this moment since Samuel showed up that day and anointed him as king. I think he probably had dreamed of bringing the ark. And that's probably why he was so mad. And that's probably why he was so afraid. Because God now in his eyes was the great dream squasher. So he says, let's forget it. Let's put in this guy over to his house. So it says that David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. And the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed. Come on. Thank you, Lord. We needed a break. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told... Hey, David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the Ark of, of God. Because the Ark of the Testimony is there, David. God's Look, the presence of the Lord is there. He's blessing it. Because when you get God, you get his blessing. It's just the way it works. And he's like, oh, yeah. Bing. God's good. I kind of forgot because of what happened to Yuzah. Because God didn't do something I didn't like. I wanted God to do things. But I remember now, God is good. God's default is blessing. 
God's anger lasts for a moment. Yeah, he's getting, and he's merciful too. That's right. I remember. Oh, yeah. Look at the house of Obed-Edom. It's blessed. The ark is there. And I want to see the nation blessed. Let's go get it. And let's do it right this time. How many are grateful for second chances? How many are grateful for 10,000 chances? Thank the Lord. How many here are grateful for even more than that? I mean, I am grateful for like infinite chances in the Lord. Because I don't always get it right, just like David. So David went there and brought the ark of the Lord. The ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. Again, all the things that accompany great worship. Singing, dancing, celebrating, writing songs, playing instruments. We love it. Yeah, come on, bring it, Lord. Some pe- See, some people say that stuff is, is uh, like sacrilegious. Well, you're not, you're not honoring the Lord if you're acting crazy during worship. Actually, I see quite the opposite. If your worship's free, then it's probably not worship. We'll talk about that next week. Check this out. Verse 13. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So they would take, they had the presence of God on their shoulders. They would walk every six steps. They'd make a sacrifice because this is the way that God wanted it. It took forever. They're like on their phones. Come on. Batteries out. But they did it God's way. They did it God's way. Listen, if you <laughs> if you want it to be blessed, if you want your life to be blessed, then just become a genuine worshiper. And worship God. And I hear this a lot in church. I, I, I've led worship for a lot of years. You don't want to hear that now. Let's just say Leslie learns from the best of them. need to worship God his way. What I was saying is this. A lot of times we say, I just worship God my way. Can you go in the other room, please? <laughs> you don't worship God your way. You worship God his ways. He, he's the one you're worshiping. Well, I just kind of do my own thing. It's just a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, that's the problem with you thinking of it that way. Because we're a family. We do it together. personal pocket Jesus. Well, now worship in the way I want to. But I'm glad that fits into your theology. I don't fit into mine. God has a way that he likes to be worshipped. God has a way that he demands to be worshipped. Let's just say that God does make demands. God does make commands. And anytime you eliminate that, you, you're worshipping something other than my God. You're worshipping a God that you've made, not a God that's in the scriptures. God does have expectations. He does have ways. Our, our job is to study his ways, to study his affections, to study his desires, to learn who he is, to discover who he is. And he, the whole time he's going, 
yes, I want you to know who I am. This is why worship is exciting. Because God isn't just going, give me worship. He's going, I want you. I want worshipers. I want you to see who I am. I want you to see my greatness. I want you to experience my blessing. Yeah, there's a way. Yes, there's certain ways that I like things to be done. But I'll but I'll have those set up so you can experience it. Because if it's done your way, there would be no way you would have a capacity to handle it. You understand the reason why God has a way and an order to the way that we approach Him. It's not because He's so egotistical. It's because that's the only way that we can handle it. So, awareness. Number two is affection. Everybody say affection. Now, affection, I've kind of made up a little, uh, I know it's probably not the way you're supposed to do it, but I, this is what I think affection means. Affection is the expressive response to one's value. The expressive response to one's value. I love people. I'm very, like, affectionate. I'm touchy-feely. I'm like that with my kids. Why am I like that? Because I understand that people are valued. And so I'm affectionate. Some of you are affectionate differently. I'm, you know, very touchy-feely. I make people uncomfortable. They're like, whoa, what's the pastor was hitting on me today. I don't know. I just, I'm just like really affectionate. You know, I'll, I'll meet people sometimes. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm like giving them a shoulder rub and they're like, they're kind of getting this, they're like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm touching the ark. I'm going to go over here. Because I see value in people. So I'm, I'm wanting to express some, and some of y'all aren't like that. You do it other ways. Uh, Brooke. Um, the expressive response of one's value. So I'm expressing something, whether it be physically, whether it be verbally, whether it be giving gifts, whether it be spending time. It's affection. It's how you lavish on someone. So David, the Ark of the Covenant, comes into the city of David, and David is dancing. It says with all his might, and he's dancing like crazy, like style, like dancing. Some of you have never danced in worship. Can I tell you, you will never experience, until you do that, there's certain levels of freedom in your life that will never be unlocked. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you will need to learn to get before the Lord and dance sometimes. You don't have to do it every time in worship, but you better learn to do it because there are certain levels of freedom that will not be unlocked until you learn to do it. And most of the time you won't do it because you're prideful and it's you you're worshiping, not God. Let's just leave it there. Grace, grace, grace. So we're at this event called the call and I've always been what I would call a uh, an expressive worshiper I've always been like yeah woo yeah you know you know the way I worship and so we're at this event called the call in in Washington DC in 2001 and uh, there's this there's this kid that's like crazy looking some of y'all heard this story before he's like you know, he's got like this army jacket on. He's got his ears gauged before anybody ever did that. He, he was just doing this like crazy dance. And I was like, you know, I was like, come on. I was like, yeah, Lord. Yeah. You know, getting down with Jesus. And I look at this kid and he is just like doing this like crazy, like, like unstructured, like dance. And I danced before the Lord before that. And, uh, and still do. 
and he's just going crazy. And I, and I told the Lord, I was like, man, Lord, I want to worship like that. And he's like, so why don't you? And I was like, okay. You know. And, uh, and you know, even though at that time, listen, I, I, was, I was very expressive in my worship at that point. But I thought, you know what? Never again. Never again. Well, I look at somebody and admire their worship. In that sense. You can say, man, I love that. I appreciate that. But never again will I look and envy somebody else's worship. Never again will I look, will look and say, oh man, I wish I could be that free with God. Never again. I will be as free as I can be in his presence. And I made that decision. I said, you know why? Because God is worthy of all my affections. See, we don't just love him with all of our minds. I don't just love him with all of my heart. Come on, I love him with all of my strength. Even when it looks stupid. So David goes in. And he's worshiping in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And he's like half naked. He's wearing a linen ephod, what the priests wore. Oh, come on. You've got to understand that David is a picture of Christ. We're going to get into that in a minute. David's wearing this little little linen ephod, which is, which is probably somewhat transparent, if you get what I'm saying. And he is like, you know, he's doing that crazy dance that dude was doing in the military jacket with the ears gauge. And he's like, come on. The band's playing. And he's like, yeah, let's go. We're going. God is coming. We're bringing him into the city. And he's going nuts. And his wife, remember the one that Saul said she'll be a snare to David? And she peeks out the window of the palace. And she sees David and she goes, how inappropriate. You ever been in church and you had that spirit on you? That's the spirit of Michael. How inappropriate. Maybe what's inappropriate is how your arms are crossed and you're looking at other people near worship but not Jesus. Huh? So she's like, man, I'm like, we don't have to like really preach on the love of God, love of God next week. The mushy marshmallow love of God. So she's like, so David like goes through, they bring the ark in, they put it in a tent. Everybody's, you know, Israel's being blessed. David walks in, he's like, you would not believe how good worship was today. He walks in the door and there is his wife. And she says, look how the king has distinguished himself what were you thinking those girls out there were probably lusting after you how dare you you know what David said this is woman that dance was not for you that dance was not for no girls that dance was for the Lord he was the one and she was bitter in her heart and you know what God did God closed her womb she never bore children because of the bitterness in her life Listen, gang, we've got to develop an awareness of God's value. I'm going to share one more little point from this story, and we'll pray. Many believe that in those days, men would do what's called a fertility dance. When they would be away, they'd come back in town, they would do a fertility dance when they'd come home, and they would probably be not dressed for battle. They would probably kind of strip down to their PJs, for lack of a better word, their wife beater and their boxers. And so 
Yeah, TikTok. Oh, yeah, I said wife beater. Sorry. If you're not redneck, you don't understand that. And so, um, yeah, stink talk. And so what they believed is that, or, or what we've learned is that they would do this fertility dance, and when they would go in, their wife would be waiting, and that as they did this dance, the, the gods, quote-unquote, would bless them, and then the man would come and, you know, do, do what husbands do when he's been away a couple knots, and, and then she would get pregnant because of that. Right? Amen. Come on, guys. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. We know. And so she probably, now we don't know this for sure. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but many people believe that when she despised David, and I think the scripture here could allude to it, when she despised David, she was like, well, why are you dancing for me? Because you got to understand that a woman's value in those days was not based upon her education or upon her uh, job status, but on how many children she had. And so she was wanting more babies. So when she sees David, she's ticked because he's dancing before the Lord, not for her. So she goes into accusation mode saying, look at him. He ain't dancing for me. We're not having any babies. And so the thing that she longed for was actually robbed because she chose not to honor the worship of God.